This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homesdale Radio, Football Blogging Award Finalist 2015, www.holradio.net. Welcome to Homesdale Radio. I am Chris Hambling and I'll be your host tonight for tonight's show as we look back at a disappointing and controversial defeat away to high-flying Leicester City. Once again, injuries played a part as Palace looked light up top and struggled to play with the fluency so evident at the start of the season. Helping me to analyse the key moments in the game, I'm joined by Patrick O'Quiner. Hello. Nick Gillard. All right. And Terence Ford. Hello. And we were due to be joined by Alex White, but unless you had a mysterious reason for pulling out the show yet again. Getting a bit regular this um Give him some grief on Twitter, please. Nick will be manning the chat room at holradio.net forward slash chat. And for all the ways to get in touch tonight, head to holradio.net forward slash contact. Um, we do begin the show with news in brief. Kai Kai makes it four in four and duo close to returning. Soleil Kai Kai continues his impressive run of form on loan at Shrewsbury yesterday, opening the scoring in a morale-boosting 2-0 win at home to Bury. The Palace Academy man has now bagged four goals in four games for the League One outfit, drawing plaudits from his new manager and fans alike. Kessie Anderson also continued his fine form on loan by bagging the winner at Doncaster in that 2-1 win over... Well, it wasn't Shrewsbury, was it? The 20-year-old... <laughs> has seen his loan extended until January 2016 after his impressive displays. Conor Wickham and Joel Ward have both taken huge steps in return to the first team this week as they both took part in full training with the squad at Beckenham. In a photo on the official Palace Twitter account, the newly signed striker and defender could be seen training with their teammates indicating return their action could not be far off. Following yesterday's match with Leicester, Alan Pardew has suggested that the Foxes' boss, Claudio Ranieri, goaded his players during yesterday's 1-0 defeat. Footage showed the Italian failed to shake Pardew's hand following the final whistle, prompting the Palace boss to reference the incident in his post-match press conference after the game. 
And don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest news during the week. Visit hltco.org. Listen to Homestale Radio on the go using our Apple iOS app. Download at holradio.net forward slash iOS. We've got plenty coming up for you on the show tonight. We've got an interview with the Academy Sports psychologist, uh, Paul McVeigh, former Norwich and Tottenham player. You may remember him uh, from his playing days, but if not, he's been working for a few years now with the, the Palace Academy um, on, yeah, on the mental side of the game, trying to sort of create the right mentality in players to actually make that step up and also to be able to deal with the disappointment and, you know, sort of plan, plan their lives if they don't make it. So, um, yeah, that's coming come up just after we've done the match review, that will be. And uh, later on, we'll also be discussing the ultimate 25-man squad. Where we're picking the best 25 players ever to have played for Palace, in the opinions of the listeners. Uh, it's definitely going to get into argument territory very, very soon. Uh, so far, in the goalkeepers, we have Nigel Martin and a couple of vacancies in there. Uh, in defence, we have Scott, Dan, Kenny Sansom and a fair few vacancies to fill there. Midfield so far is Wolf Zaha, Jeff Thomas and last week Peter Taylor made it in there. Uh, and up front, we've got uh, Ian Wright and Andy Johnson so far. And Michael Hughes remains the sole person to have been binned so far. What we've got this week is uh, centre-backs, and it's Eric Young, who is the most uh, voted for player by you over the course of the week. Um, a lot of people voting for Jim, Jim Cannon and some very, very strong words and them, but, but the ninja made it over him. So it's him we'll be looking at uh, next. If you go to holradio.net forward slash vote, and get involved in the live vote to see whether or not you want to in or bin Eric Young. Is he? He's a great defender, no, no doubt in that, but is he great enough to be in the all-time 25? And bearing in mind, we're looking to fill three more centre-back positions, and that would just leave two more were ninja to get in. So a lot of thought to think about there, holradio.net forward slash vote. Uh, there'll be no votes counted in the chat room, holradio.net forward slash chat, or Twitter. It's looking a bit sparse in there. I think Nick's in there with a couple of other people at most in the chat room. If you're listening live, do join us in there. Like I say, all the ways to get in touch tonight, go to hrradio.net forward slash contact. Let's talk about the game, shall we, lads? Um, we have to. Yes, that's the thing. We were talking about that before the show started. It's um, one of the downsides, I think, of, of doing this is what you sometimes you really don't want to talk about a game. And I think we're all feeling that a bit today. It was um, it's a very, very disappointing one to lose. But um, hopefully once we get going, it'll, uh, we'll all get a bit more of an enthusiasm for, for discussing it. But it's a lot of frustration once again. We've seen that in the last few weeks, even in some of the better performances. There's been a bit of frustration from fans. And almost certainly, you know, that's really, really been a, been a sort of key factor of you know, the, res- the response so far it was a very strong response once again directly after the game on social media. There often is a lot of his- hysteria, but also, also a lot of very good points being made. And um, I think the best place to start is that um, there were some enforced changes and, and-, and some decisions made, of course. Um, one decision made was for Fraser Campbell starting, um, and another decision was putting Sacco in for Zaha. And Marieppa started his first game right back with Kelly switching to left back after Soiree injured a groin uh, very, very close to uh, to the game. So a bit of a, some enforced, some deliberate, but I want to start on the decision to drop Wilf, if I may, and put Sacco in. Because last week, uh, Sacco came off the bench and I think, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his, but he was absolutely terrible off the bench last week. Um, so what on earth, Terence, did, did Wilf do that meant that Sacco should start over him? I'm I'm really really unsure. Um, I was saying this last week. I think he's probably our most informed attacking player 
or no, I don't think there's any probably about it. He is. Um, yeah. Everyone he's going up against at the moment, he's beating them pretty much nine times out of ten. Um, he's looking very, very dangerous, and it may. It I don't understand it. I it defensively looks sound, going forward he looks great, and he seems to balance out our player a lot more because he holds his whip, which is a lot more than Balassi is doing at the moment when he's playing out there or Sacco. So I'm, I'm really unsure what Pardew's thinking in not playing Wilf as much as he should be playing in the last couple of weeks. It's a really strange one for me. Uh, Patrick, have you got a view on this as well? And, you know, you're a positive person like I, like I am a lot of the time. Can you see any reason why Wilf is the one missing out, given how, as, as Terrence has pointed out, out of form Balassi is and how ineffective Sacco was the other day? I'm not sure... Um... If it's, I, I think it might be a couple of things. One, I think just from the Sacco point of view, I think Sacco does provide us one thing. He does shoot the ball more than any of our other midfielders does do. So I noticed that yesterday he did get a couple of shots off. So I think that might be one of the reasons. We just don't shoot the ball as a, as a team, obviously, without having a striker that can shoot the ball and score. I think he, uh, we're probably looking for more shots from our midfielders. From the Zaha stand point of view, I don't know. Maybe he's making a point with Wilf as far as um, just trying to get him going because I do notice that when Wilf is does not start or is, uh, you know, as uh, Joel said, is he's, what did Joel say? He was, uh, I guess he called him, he was benched or whatever last, which I disagree with, but anyway. Yeah, dropped, he said. Yeah. Well, when he, when he, when he quote-unquote drops Wolf, he does come back uh, with uh, some more passion and plays really a lot harder. Even yesterday, you know, obviously we'll talk about how, you know, the, the, how he, well he played lately, later on and when he came on. So I think it might be a motivational thing with Pardew, but honestly, I'm not really sure where this is going with Wolf. I don't understand honestly why he is, quote-unquote, dropped so often and why he's used as the escape goat when it comes to our midfield. This is a midfield three of those three. I mean, I'm a big Yannick fan, you guys know, but I would start Wilf over Sacco and Balassi any day, especially the way he's playing right now. Yeah, again, you only want you want your informed players to be looked after here. And we've got some stuff in the chat room there, Nick, and then give your opinion as well. Yes, Dweeb. Seems AP doesn't really like Wilf. And Booted Eagle has said, remember Wilf tearing Leicester up a few seasons ago? As said, he could well have got at them early. Um, I'd have dropped Balassi rather than Wilf. I think Wilf is the stronger of the two players at the moment. And Balassi's just been completely and utterly rubbish of late. He just mm. doesn't, doesn't seem to have it at all. And I'd, no. I'd um, almost use Balassi as the impact sub, and then that might send a message to Yannick that, you know, come and pull your socks up, mate. But Wilf, as soon as he came on, he, he made, a, made the impact, didn't he? It's, getting into the box, those little runs, and I thought he came on a little bit too late. Is that what it is, though? Is that what, what Pardew's thinking, that, that maybe Wilf is better to, to run out of tiring defence? And like we've seen, perhaps more likely to, um, you know, to win penalties and what have you. you know, and, he, and he certainly should have got one yesterday, which we'll come to a bit later on. You know, perhaps that's the thinking. Patrick? Well, the thing is, um, remember when... Uh Yannick came on against Chelsea. It had a huge impact in that game to help us win mm. the game. So I don't know which one has the better impact. I think they both have good impact when they come off. I just, again, I don't think, and I think it's unfair to say he doesn't like Wolf. I think that's very unfair, but I think it might be something. I really think he thinks that Wolf needs needs this kind of like management. Because everybody talks about how great of a man manager Pardew is. I think he's trying to like look to the future with Wolf. And maybe if he does this to him now, in the future, be a better player and a better person. Well, it's a, it's a possibility, but you don't want to lose games because of it, I don't think. You know. good I don't know. And again, you've got. I really don't know either. I'll be honest, Jeff. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost. No, I know it's good to good to speculate, isn't it? But yeah. I mean, even if he is thinking along those lines, I, I would say Wilf being dropped at the 
you know, the cost of, of Yannick and Serco is, is going to affect his confidence more. We know he's a confidence player. And I do wonder sometimes when I look at, look at the management of Wilf, we were praising it a few weeks ago, so I've got to give that the context. You know, we were, we were saying how well he'd done a couple of weeks ago, but Wilf's always been a player you need to give you know, a run of games to for him to get completely firing. And this kind of, if he keeps this stop-start thing going on, I think it's going to affect Wilf's season in, in a negative way. But you know, he's, he does need manager, and he can't just be picked you know, continuously just wherever he does. It's, you know, I'm certainly not advocating that, but um, it's yeah. It, for me, it's a very, very tough one. Uh, Nick, a bit more in the chat room there. Yeah, King B prefers Zaha and Balassi's partnership than Sacco. Not that um, I don't rate Sacco, but I feel Balassi and Zaha have shown the best attack partnership on the wing. And uh, Brammy Eagles come in on Twitter uh, saying leaving Zaha out is ridiculous. He's better than Yala and Sacco as well. So. Uh, and CPFC Jiffs also just got in touch saying that uh, Balassi's been poor um, this season. He's just waiting to go in January. So speculation there. Obviously signed that new contract, but uh, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people feeling the same things. Again, it's easy to do after a defeat. And when you give it the context that that we we were all pra- you know, everyone was praising Padre for his management of Wilf recently. You suppose you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt, haven't you? Um, I don't know. It's a diff- tricky one, tricky one. Uh, okay, that wasn't the only change that was made. One of the other decisions was to start Fraser Campbell. Now, you're the premier Fraser Campbell apologist, Patrick. Um, I also defend I him quite, quite a lot. Yeah, I'd say so. What did you think of his performance? It's like all of his performances. I think he works really hard. But again, I'm going to say it again. He's not getting any service. So he's going to look really bad and people are going to kill him and it's never going to change until he scores a goal. But again, we don't create chances for any of our strikers, whether it's Yannick Balassi, whether it's Fraser Campbell, Dwight Gale. Even when it was Connor Wickham and even when it was Glenn Murray, we don't create chances. So whoever's playing up front right now, for me, that's the biggest problem. It's not a matter of who's playing up front. It's more of we're not providing service to those players. I don't think, I mean, I could watch it again, but I don't remember Fraser missing a chance yesterday to score a goal. Did you guys remember him missing a chance to score a goal? So it's not like um, Fraser Campbell missed five chances yesterday and cost us the match. It's just that he was our best option considering you know who else we had. We could have played Bamford. I thought Bamford played well yesterday, but we don't create enough chances, so... They're all going to look really, really bad, and unfortunately, that was uh, Fraser's problem yesterday once again. I think this is going to be a, a, a real sort of focus of the discussion. Terence, you want to make a point quick on that? Um, well, I think uh, we did create chances for Conor Wickham. Uh, the one that springs to mind is the, when he hits the post against yes. Arsenal. Yeah, one but, chance, right? <laughs> but our, our game is more designed around the centre forward creating the chances for the three attacking players that are coming on. That's that's how our game is designed to play out. I feel, and you know, if you think how it worked against Norwich when Murray was the focal point up top, how it worked well against Chelsea as well when Conor Wickham was the focal point at the top. He's bringing those players into play. That's exactly why we have Sacco there because it's Wickham's going to be able to open up that space for him to have shots. And as I keep saying, it's no surprise since Wickham's been out and we're stuck with Gal who can't play the focal point up top, Fraser Campbell who like I've said in the past can't occupy two centre-backs and Patrick Bamford up until yesterday who hasn't really done anything to make me get out of my seat and think hmm he could actually play this role for us so without Wickham there um, I just don't think there's a chance that those three players are going to perform and that's why for me yesterday I think it's Pardew wants to play three out of four and when I say three out of four I mean Zaha, Balassi, Sacco and Punchin but it's not really working at the moment and when you've got a team who's as good in form as Leicester are, you've got Riyad Mahrez, who's pacey, very skillful, and keeps dropping in between the lines, where we've rarely got players these days. It would have, I think it would have been, we'd have been better suited to drop 
either Punchin or Sacco Blastin just play two wingers and put Ledley in there to plug up that hole in the middle, I think that would have been serving us a lot better. Mm. It's definitely, I mean, it's, again, with hindsight, you can always look at look at the decisions made and say, oh, this would have been better. But I do have to, have to agree on that. And Nav's got in touch earlier on and um, he said the Padre's treatment of Zaha in the face of Sacco, Balassi and Punchin being continually poor is an aberration and smacks of ego. And there's, you know, there's, that's a sort of um, accusation that's been labelled at Pardew in the past, certainly about his man management of the, shall we say, the, the more popular kind of big-name players, the players who play with a bit of attitude. Um, and whether that's the, the case or not, I don't know. I mean, you know, Wilf, Wilf to me, in, in interviews and what have you, has come across as a much more mature individual these days. And um, I, I think Pardew's definitely trying to manage him in a certain way. But like I say, I, I worry it's a little bit dangerous the way he's doing it. Uh, Nick, you first. Tev, Tev just very uh, sorry. Tev has just very well explained the way that we play. But it's obvious if if Campbell can't play that holding up, knocking the ball into the spaces for Sacco roll, then where the flipping heck is our plan B and a different way of playing? I mean, well, the only way, the only time we looked like we were going to get anything yesterday was when Leicester went on the back foot after they were one 0 up, and then we really, really pressured them. I mean, what happened to Palace putting on pressure at the start of the game, creating two or three chances in the first five minutes, which was was pretty much what happened in the first first five or six games of the season where we yeah. really took the game to the opposition. We're yeah, not doing yeah. that now. Yeah, you've a- you've absolutely na- nailed a point I was going to talk about a bit later. I'll uh, give Patrick a chance to come in on this though first. Yeah, so that's a great... I like what Nav said about Pardew. So do, do, at what point do we start questioning what Pardew's doing just in general then? As far um, as the way he treats the players and or where, how we're playing because I'm not, I'm not panicking after two losses in a row but I'm just saying... It's, be, it's being questioned. You can tell things are starting to come out. That when you know, we, I mean, I think injuries are a bigger problem than than, than Pardew um, dealing with the players and or formation. But I think it has to be addressed at some point. And what do we, you know, what do we think about that? Well, I think you know what I mean. We've all we've all watched football for a long, long time, and we know how these things work. While you're winning, and while there's a positive attitude and an atmosphere that that's kind of supportive, then you, you don't really get these things questioned. Exactly. People don't look at the mistakes that were made during our. our our performances last season when we went from near relegation certainties to a top half team people don't look at the the games where there were mistakes made and things like that you know Pardew himself was quite clear you know I think I've made an error this time and you know he admits to players when he's made an error and you know and he he said that you know there will be bad times there will be times where people get on his back but you know and maybe we're we're starting to see those because it is is two defeats in a row despite the fact that we're in you know a very good position in the league and again if you you we've analyzed analyzed the games every week so in a way we've kind of got you know the, the sort of we we can kind of keep a, a a level head i suppose at times but you know when you actually look at you can see you can look at that game yesterday yesterday and go two clear penalties denied which we'll, we'll discuss in a bit more detail in a bit but two clear penalties denied so we sh- we should have won the game 2-1 but i think Pretty much every fan will say, you know, we didn't really deserve to win that game. In fact, we didn't really deserve anything out of it because, like Nick was saying, we don't we didn't play until we went one down, um, right. and that that's the concern for me. But certainly, there's loads of things we we, we are questioning Pardew on. We're questioning him now about his treatment of Zaha. I question him on his decision to start Campbell, um, his decision to you know the club's decision to allow Murray to go, assuming that Connor Wickham would be fit and that. You know that Gale would be an apt replacement. Again, that on the surface of it, I didn't really have a problem with it. But now you see, you know, again, it's hindsight. But now you see the position we're in. I'm starting to think, you know, what well, what on earth have we done there? A couple of points on that, Chris. Um, yeah. Just just with the Murray thing, was it? Did I read somewhere that 
Murray went because of the financial fair play that nobody's taken any notice of anyway. It, and um, secondly, yeah. um, I think when we beat Chelsea, we, we've all got ideas above our station. Our expectations are a bit too high. So when, when we lose a close-fought game, as, as poor as it was yesterday, we seem to be more upset by it. But the mm. fact is, Chelsea are absolute crap, aren't they? So we, <laughs> we, we probably thought we were better than we, we are when, once we got that second second place spot. But they're still the season. champs, though. They're still the yeah. defending champions. More like the champs. Nah, come on, that's not fair. Well, well done, Nick. Uh, no, ser- <laughs> oh, no, take that take that point quite seriously. You know, the general thing is we know this expectation rises with with performance. Right. You know, we finished eleventh in the Premier League and then tenth in the Premier League. Of course, you know we've we've spent this season so far in the top half of the table, and you know we've hit a couple. Of, we've done a couple of bad results, and of course people are going to get frustrated and by that because we're football fans and we don't like it when our team loses. That's all there really is to it. Um, it's inter- but what's interesting to me, and you, you talk about Pardew, Patrick, and whether or not we're, we're you know, how, when do we start questioning him? And I suppose, right. you, you know, what sort of level of intensity do we apply to that kind of scrutiny? But if you look at him after the game yesterday, he's saying that the performance was good. Do you agree yeah. with that? No, and that's, that was my point. Absolutely not. I mean, it was poor. It was poor from a lot of different players and the team in general. And again, I've, I've liked him in the past because a lot of times in the past, he's actually, like he said before, he's admitted he made a mistake. He didn't say that yesterday about you know uh you know how we you know what he did whatever so for me that's a bit concerning but again like I, you know i'm i'm just i'm i'm at a bit of a loss cuz like i said i'm not worried about the two losses i'm just worried about i'm really more worried about the injuries and how we're playing cuz i much preferred our counterattacking style with our wingers with Balassi and Zaha wide with punching in the middle and playing that way and, and adding people like Sacco and Gabay, though they've been absolutely great for us at times, I think it just changes the whole style. I remember when people complained in the past when other managers tried to change how we played um, and complained about it. And I think that, you know, obviously we've got to adapt the way we play because of, you know, we want to get higher in the table. But I just think we play better with a, in a certain style. I, I don't know. I'm just confused as to how we're trying to play. And Terrence's point about the strikers, a great point about Wickham, but we can't rely on one player who's no. been injured in the past to be that key player. Because if we rely on that one player and he's not available, which he's not, we're, you know, things are gonna, not going to get better. They're going to get worse. Because if we don't, can't play Bamford, we can't play Frazier, we can't play Gale, you know, and Wickham, honestly, and Shamak are both out, we're, we're, it could really get worse. And that would, that would be my concern. Mm. Uh, Terence, do you, you want to come in on this? Call? Yeah, I, I don't think we were bad yesterday, by any means. I think we... We shut Leicester down pretty well. We've got to we've, we've got to take into consideration that what since February, March maybe Leicester have pretty much been the best team in the Premier League. Agreed. <laughs> um, and they didn't have a chance. All Brighton hit the post from range. Uh, we'll talk about Hennessy later. And they scored because of a mistake. They after Pardew said it in his um, post match interview. He said, "I don't, I didn't see that Leicester were going anywhere." And I agree with him. They, I never felt uncomfortable at any point during that game. And then when we turned the screw after they scored, we probably showed them too much respect because we showed that we could cause them a lot of problems. Exactly. They, although you've got to factor in the fact that they were one 0 up and were were almost happy. Well, were happy to defend that lead. We did absolutely have them pressed in their own half, unable to do anything. And they not wow. only that, not only that, as defensively, they they looked a bit, they looked shaky. Well, I think like, two, you know. there was two massive differences, though, wasn't there? I think Patrick Bamford coming on made a massive difference because yeah. he attempted to occupy the centre-backs, which Fraser Campbell can never do. And um, 
when then when when we added Melee Jednak in there as well, um, to, uh, being able to add that more direct nature to the game as well, um, I think caused them a lot of problems. Uh, I think Jednak only Scott down one more headers in him, and he was only on the field for fifteen minutes <laughs> for yeah. the whole game. So, uh, funny enough, there were a lot of people on Twitter during the during the game saying that this game is crying out crying out for Jednak. Um, and they were absolutely right, and it was you know it was it was a while until he came on, obviously, but um, you know he almost sort of came on at, at the wrong time, I guess. But I know it was I, I wouldn't call it one of the worst displays I've ever seen, but for me it just goes back to what to what Nick mentioned earlier. It's the fact that we didn't have that urgency. You say we show them too much respect, maybe that's it. But I worry that we're that, that the team's being put out with that attitude because. It, it, the fluency wasn't there. We were we were very slow in possession. There was no sharpness to the passing until we went one nil down. Then we showed that we can pass the ball. We can move it quickly. We can switch play when we need to. Because Leicester were sort of you know a lot of teams are doing this to us. Maybe we've been worked out a bit, but they they just pack the space and just let us let us pass slowly around until right. so they've closed down all the angles and then the fluency goes and you know Kabai starts roaming to try and try and affect the game and then we start to lose a bit of shape. That that's how teams are kind of. Coming, coming at us and stopping us play. But, you know, the key thing for me, so you look at the first half, the wingers didn't take anyone on. Yannick Balassi did not take a player on. The second half, when we went 1-0 down, the first thing he starts doing is trying to get around the outside of the defender and trying to trick, trick his way past him. Why on earth wasn't Yannick Balassi doing that for the other oh, 60 yeah. minutes of the game? And to me, that's not, that's not him deciding that. I think... I think that's the mentality he's been put out with, and I, I wonder if Pardew perhaps went a little too defensive, a little too much about let's let's hold them and sort of not not push things. I don't know. What do you think, Terence? Uh, well, no, for, basically, I think the difference, came, like I say, the difference came when Patrick Bamford came on, and the difference was he was playing the focal point that we needed, and that's not just in terms of being able to hold the ball up as or and things like that. It's making the runs that opens up the space for the midfielders. The reason why. There was nobody, none of our wingers attacking in the first half, is because they had two people on them all the time and had no option of a pass inside. So they always had to come back down the touchline. Don't underestimate how well Leicester did in pressing us really high up the field and always getting two men on our danger men. I mean, Vardy doesn't stop running. It was quite a sight to behold just how he's just sprinted at full pelt for the entire game. I start. I started the game thinking he's this century. Sorry, this generation's Paul Dickov, but <laughs> he, but he actually reminded me reminded me a little of AJ as well. In just yeah. remember AJ used to do that, didn't he? Ch- chase down everything mm. at a ridiculous pace, just harry people into making mistakes. It's um yeah yeah. But so and let me just finish. Bam- Bamford basically made their other midfielders who kind of like their spare men running around in there shutting down our game. He made he gave them things to think about. And then what that did was unlock Kabaya and gave him more space to do things, which then in turns pulls out the fullbacks, which um, just the double up on the fullbacks. So Zaha's only got one man to beat as opposed to two, and it was the same on the other flank. You saw then Sacco started to get more shots away. So it's to our attacking player, our lone striker is so key to what we do. And I've got no problem with uh, Alan Pardew starting Fraser Campbell because... He's, he's got two options, and Bamford right. hasn't shown anything. You know, Gal suspended, Wickham's injured, Schmack's injured. He's got he's got no one else. He's got a choice between Campbell, who at least has a goal, like has scored this season, or mm. Bamford, who hasn't done anything. Um, would he known that Bamford could have put in that performance? If Bamford started that game, maybe things would have been a, a quite a fair bit different. But 
that what has Padre seen from him so far to suggest that he can actually do it in a game scenario? Nothing. So I've got no, no problems with starting Campbell. That's fair. And you, you think if the situation is, situation is the same in the next game, would you start Gale or would you start Bamford? I'm, you know, just on that, you know, that, that second half, you've you got to say you'd start Bamford. But um, go on, Patrick, you first. And then I think Nick wants to ask Terence something. You know, an additional thing is, you know what, not having Suarez and Ward is, has impacted us big time on out wide because both of those players get forward much better than um, Kelly and Mariapa do. And I, I always notice that when Suarez in the match, he really makes the wing on his side so much better the way he overlaps and creates space for them. So I think yesterday not having those two in the lineup was a big, big difference for us because Mariapa and Kelly are much more defensive-minded than uh, Suarez and uh, Ward. And that hurt us a lot too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'll talk about Suarez in just a moment. But uh, Nick, you wanted you had something to mention? Yeah, it was just to ask, uh, just to ask Terence if he thought that Campbell was the best best choice to be picked to start the game. But you kind of answered that yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a quick game too in the chat room um, said that Bamford and the Jedi and Zaha changed the way we played. He didn't think that Bamford had it in him, and that Campbell was pony. What does what does Pard see in Campbell? Retorts booted eagle and. Um, we're not sure, but it's like um, Terence said, he's, he's the only striker we've got who's scored. Yeah, I think that's, that's all it comes down to. You know, It's an interesting one, really. Uh, going back to what we were talking about, Zaha, Neil Kite got in touch earlier on and said that Zaha should start every game. He's a maverick, can win a game uh, game on his own, I guess he's, he's saying, and destroy defensive with ability. Blassie can't. Well, I wouldn't agree with that last part. Blassie can, but it isn't. Is, I think it's probably a more apt right, way of putting it. Uh, Georgie's also got in touch saying Blassie's bringing little to the side. Zaha is hit, hit and miss, but at least he's a constant threat. Um, yeah, and I, I can see that. Wilf has always been a player who it doesn't matter if he's not getting past someone, he'll just keep trying and trying and trying until he does. Um, Whereas just, yeah, Yannick, for whatever reason at the moment, just doesn't seem to be trying. And like I say, until he, he seemed to get a rocket up his, his ass when, when Zaha and, and Jednak were on the pitch because suddenly he was running at people. There was that really frustrating moment where he got fouled about four times in ten seconds and got none of them um, in terms of the decisions. Go on, Nick, I heard you make a noise. Down, yeah, that was down by the corner flag, wasn't it? But yeah. if Belassi's not performing, why is he being picked to start? Surely, if he's the one that needs the rocket, right, I'm going to bench you today. Let's put Wilf on instead. We know he can deliver the goods. He's shown us when he's come on the last couple of times that he can do. Yannick, you, you just... You, he's, he's even rubbish in FIFA 16, and he was the first player <laughs> I bought. He's, he just can't do anything in that. And I, right, right, right. Thank you, I mean, let's, well let's, yeah, let's Ignore take... the FIFA 16 bit, but, you know, yeah. they, they've got it so accurate on there this year. No, look, I, I, I just think he's... He's not got he's not got his game going, and maybe again I'm talking about the fact that with Wilf to get him fully flowing, you just have to keep him in the team and let him let him play himself into form. Maybe that's how um, how Pardew's viewing the Balassi situation at the moment. But can I, I can I speculate something? Mm. I, this is I've only just thought about this as I'm sitting here. Um, mm. You know, Parish is always he's all over the world at the moment trying to promote the brand, and if you go to any other country in the world. Which player do you think that they know at Crystal Palace? Yeah, it's Yannick, isn't it? The moment? But well, he's he's got his own skill on FIFA 16. Every everyone knows who Yannick Balassi is, and mm. I wonder if that's it. It's an expansion of the brand. They, when people watch him abroad, watch Palace abroad, they want to see Yannick Balassi plan. I haven't thought this through properly, as I say. It just came into my head just now, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was something to do with that. Um, I'll be I don't know. I'll be surprised if Pardew was willing to put a player in the team. 
who wasn't performing week in week out just for marketing reasons. If, <laughs> if, that, that, was a, if that was the case, Lee Chung Young would play every week, wouldn't he? Because of the, the yeah. sheer he's, huge he's market. Hurt, no, he's injured. He's injured. Yeah, he's hurt. Well, so. even so, it's still playing. <laughs> well, there you go. It's some speculation there. Uh, idle speculation. And now I was wondering if we're going to talk keepers. Uh, see if we're going to talk about Hennessy or McCarthy and talk about Julian Speroni. Um, actually, let's do that now, right? Let's, let's talk keepers now. Um, Patrick, you actually started talking about this on Twitter the other day, and it was just something I was thinking about uh, pretty much at the same time, to be honest with you. In the Hennessy, okay, he's been the custodian who's kept the clean sheets this season. But when does he make saves? I mean, he, you know, he catches the ball. You know, when the, when there's a, a poor shot right at him, he'll you know he'll, he'll gather it up. But does he, does he make saves? Does he make at you know? Because Jules, no, for wherever you, yeah, exactly. For wherever you think of Jules, um, whether or not he's he's someone who should be in the team or not, you pretty much every game you'd look and go, oh, do you remember that save he made? Oh, you know, how did he get to that? All that kind of yep. stuff. Wayne Hennessy doesn't seem to make saves. This is the thing. I'm, I want to be very clear. I don't have a problem with Wayne Hennessy as a goalkeeper. I really do not. But what I've seen from him does not impress me. Now, Chris makes a great point. Goalies are in, in the net to make one thing. They're in to make saves, not to keep clean sheets. The clean sheets, for me, are really a product of the entire team, particularly the back four playing well. And the two that he kept, people gave him credit for. That's fine. He was in the net. I, I, I will still say I got to get those clean sheets because he didn't do anything in those two matches. But he, he gets credit for those two, only two of the season. The last two matches... I'll admit they were difficult saves, but he had two chances in the last two times to make a, a big save for us. He didn't come up with them. The first one was 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 last week. You know, I mean, it was already two one. But to me, the the one on one with was were the um, Payet had. Okay, it was, oh Payet. Okay, sorry, Payet. No, the Jenkinson diff- one. See, I thought well, he Jen- had done better. You know what? You know, yeah, I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. The Jenkinson one when when Wolf got beat. Difficult save. He's a six foot. I don't know how is he six five six six goalkeeper. He can spread himself really big. He got beat with his right foot. To the far post. To me, he, he, he can do better than that. Yesterday, I'll admit, listen, we all know that Vardy's played for the month. He's playing really, really well. He's one-on-one with the keeper. He gets chipped the same way he got chipped again by, by Payet. So he's seen that. He's been in that position before. He comes out big, supposedly. He gets chipped. The ball drops. Dan gets beat. He knocks it in a goal. To me, you've got to make a save. I've got no problem with the man, but he, he's a statue. The, the, the shot that Terrence referred to before when uh, Albright hit the post. Well, Penelope hasn't moved yet. To make that save, he hasn't moved yet, <laughs> so I don't, I don't understand why. I don't, at this point now, and I'm not blaming for losses. Don't get me wrong; it's not his fault. But goalies have to make big saves. Chris, you make a great point. You can be a reference McCarthy because uh, you know Terence make about, would make the point about McCarthy parries the ball. Parry is a save to me. At least he got to the ball, and he doesn't make any saves. So at this point now, we've got to think about making a change in goal. If for no other reason, just because I need a goalie in there that's going to make a big save, and maybe that gets the defense. You know, kind of the team, you know, riled up, whatever. But to me, Hennessy is just a, a player that stands in a goal and he's not a goalkeeper. That's that sounds harsh. That's that sounds harsh. But so, um, no, that's that's your view. Not, and we'll come. To, we've got getting some con- plenty of contact in on this already. Uh, but Terence, you're um, obviously you're still behind the decision to drop McCarthy with the way um, with the way the saves were going. Yes, he was getting to them, but it was often pushing the ball out into play and was uh, at fault maybe for a couple of goals and certainly Pardew seems to agree with that. Uh, what's your views on Hennessy? Um, it's funny that you say clean sheets um, and not important things for goalkeepers is making saves. I understand what you mean in terms of clean yeah, sheets. Yeah, I come about said it wrong, but you know what I mean. Right. As a unit, yeah, yeah. But, does that not tell us that perhaps Wayne Hennessy organises his back line a bit better than McCarthy was doing in terms of 
if you organise your back line well enough, being that all liars from behind, you're going to have to make fewer saves because you're organising your defence and stopping them from happening. Yeah. So it's, he hasn't really had opportunities to make saves. I think um, he's he's always going to have struggles getting down to really low, and I think that was the problem with the Jenkinson one right. uh, because he's just so tall. Um, the Pyatt one, I, I, it's just he's gone down so quick. He's so big. Like perhaps if he just if he stands bigger, stands right. bigger for just that split second longer in both those scenarios, he he saves them both comfortably. They just sort think? Of right. drift into his chest, but. Um, I think there was a scenario yesterday. There was, um, I think it was Mares got to the byline and he's chipped it to the back post, and Vardy's coming in. And Wayne Hennessy had to use every single millimeter of his frame to get the ball, and he's the only goalkeeper we have that could have saved that. So that would have been a goal. It looks like he's just claimed the cross, but Julian Sproni and Alex McCarthy, it goes over their head. They just can't get there. So you can't underestimate his height in that sense because he's but prevented Terrence. a he's prevented a goal there. But Terence, just in general, you think he's been commanding of the box in the last five six matches? You think he's really made a great, a big difference in, in, in you know, cutting out crosses? Because I haven't really noticed it, I'll be honest with you. I really haven't noticed him being <laughs> a commanding. There was a, a huge, box. there was a huge one in the West Ham game at two one. They even showed it on Match of the Day. No, I so remember that match. No, <laughs> but Terence, you're taking one or two. I mean, really, one one play in a match is that you know what I'm, I'm I'm talking when you're when we criticize McCarthy, you're we're picking out two three things that he did wrong. He makes a parry, the guy rebound comes out, he scored. You know, he, he does make this, this this save on you know uh, on on Sun. But my point is that with with Hennessy, you're picking out one catch that he makes in a match. That's that's not good enough for me, is it? Well, no. So it, um, I he was at, I think if he he should be standing bigger for the Vardy one there. It's a okay. it's such an unusual goal. You, that's kind of a, a Sunday well league goal. You see that in Sunday league all the time when it's not a professional goalkeeper. I get that. In the West Ham game, the Jeng is eight yards out. You know, you're right. I think there's Sproni makes big saves in those scenarios. That's I agree with you. And um, and McCarthy has proved himself to make some great saves, but he's also made a lot of errors. Um, then. I can't, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything Hennessy can do about the second West Ham goal. No, that no, was unfair the, on the third one too. And the third one, he's just been exposed. Like he's, right. you know, it's the last, it's the last game of the game. There's not really been an opportunity for him to like be over. I can't be overly critical of him because there's not really been anything to be overly critical about. The most critical you could probably be about him is in the Watford game when he slid out and the ball bounced right, off his knee ball. when he was trying to claim the ball. Yeah, but he didn't get punished for it. I'd rather him make mistakes in scenarios like that where it's they're not punished versus scenarios like Alex McCarthy when he's spilling the ball to the striker's feet over and over again in the six-yard box. But think, you know, you know, you know, my argument is I would put Julian Sproni back in goal Sproni. anyway, and that's mine yeah. too, by the way. So lot, we all agree on that at least. <laughs> lot of support for that on the uh, in the contact we're getting. Cole Mortimer, Jules should be straight in when fit. McCarthy or Hennessy haven't taken their chance to make it. There's Alfonso Greenbrook. Let's uh, in touch. Great name. Great name. Quality name. Uh, he should be given the chance <laughs> against Man City in midweek. Talking about Julian Sproni there. Um, Chris Durham has got in touch, and he said uh, he should be should be starting. It's a tough call. Uh, Jules should be starting there. It's, it's tough call. Not a lot between all three of our goalkeepers. Uh, quick game two. That's Paul. He's uh, saying Patrick's talking. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then saying that um, saying that Hennessy hasn't had to make any saves. I would counter that with he hasn't made any saves. Thank you. You're talking. <laughs> 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 um, but uh, yeah, CPSG GIFs got in touch saying Jules needed to, needs to start. Uh, could have saved Pardi, Payette and Vardy's goals as he comes out and spreads himself like Barnes in playoff versus 
the weed. Uh, and that's, again, that's the point being made. He stands up, doesn't he? Stands up tall, spreads the hands, puts his legs out, stands up, doesn't slide along the ground and leave himself open to that. Um, and, yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's something he needs to share with Hennessy if he's not going to get his place back. Uh, Richard Delaney got in touch. Um, Jules on McCarthy for me. Hennessy doesn't seem to have a good save in him. Uh, Brent Morgan says Patrick is off his trolley. Um, <laughs> Johnny has said uh, there's a case I think it's a case of stick with what you know um, what you know now time for George to come back in we'd like to see McCarthy once more at City though and we've just gone with bring back John Jackson Nick you haven't had your say on the keeper debate I'd get Jules back in there although look if we're, we're talking about Hennessy's um, the way he went down for to, to stop Vardy there Vardy's a very clever player he's on on his game, and he he, he actually admitted that he saw Payet. Pay was it Payet last week that did yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Um, the same exact so, um, the only other thing that Hennessy could have done there was brought the player down. But the fact of the matter is, he wouldn't have had to make that save if it wasn't for a, a very, very dodgy pass by um, the person who I said I'd put first on the team sheet <laughs> and gave him the kiss of death yeah. uh, to Hangerland. So, yeah, you know, well... Let's let's take this in that direction then. Uh, Braid Hangland's been, you know, possibly the best player in the last few weeks. But um, I think we've we've, we've suggested talked as much. I, I know I've I've suggested that sort of long term. If he was younger, it wouldn't even be a consideration. But you you, you do. I always think he has that in him to do that to make that mistake or you know to get caught out in terms of his pace and his um you know should we say turning circle. I've you know I've always, <laughs> always said that. Like about a real tanker. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's just like an old tanker turning around, and that's not to disrespect him. I still think he's a class player, but he's not a week in, week out player for me. You know, he's he's, and I think that yesterday was one game too many, if I'm completely honest. But let's get some other views on that. Um, Patrick, you first. Listen, he made a mistake. Um, that could have been Delaney, could have been Dan. Dan did against Aston Villa last season. So, I mean, was it one game too much? Chris, that's a great point because I think that someone had mentioned before about how it might have been him himself actually mentioned in an interview that. You know, he prefers to play, you know, kind of in spurts and sometimes, you know, a bit of a rest. But is, Del- is Delaney fit to play right now? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so I guess if Delaney's fit, he'll be back in for City and Man United next week. So, I mean, I-, I don't have a problem with the mistake because I kind of see what he's trying to do. He did have three options on that play. He tried to play ball- the ball quickly to the player to his left and he got he got found out. But like I said, I mean, he's not perfect. He made a mistake. I mean, I'm not going to kill him for that one mistake because, you know, players make mistakes all the time. So, no, I, no, I don't you- think it's that big of a deal. I really don't. No. Well, Although it cost us the match, obviously. So yeah, exactly. It's cost. It's cost us the game, and you you can speculate. You can say, "Oh, Delaney wouldn't have done that. Maybe he would." You know, Dan actually did got away with it, but did something very, very similar later on. Um, <laughs> we we tried, tried to take tried to take the ball down on his left foot and just played it inside, but uh, you know, it almost almost Cardi got away again. So you know, players are capable of it, but you know. That's it's the fi- that's the fine margins at the Premier League level, Absolutely. and that's why I, mean, I suppose the bigger question is. Should we should we have got another centre back in? You know, you look at the twenty five man squad and say there's not really any room for another centre back. But you know, maybe maybe we don't have the cover we thought we had there. You know, maybe Kelly should be playing there. We should be using someone else out wide. All that kind of stuff. But you know, those those are the um, what do you think, Terence? Views on um, on Handler's performance? <laughs> that's 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 class. <laughs> sorry i've been i'll cue that sorry i've been waiting for ages to do that <laughs> brilliant um you know brilliant. the reason i'm not gonna i'm not gonna blame hangerland i am in the sense that he should complete the pass he's got three options there and he should be making that pass but 
that's looking out looking at the scenario out of context the reason why he's made that error is because luke vardy luke vardy jamie vardy yeah yeah no <laughs> that but he didn't he always score for us when he played for charlton a score yeah. against us yeah. uh, but anyway just like jamie vardy run hangerland ragged constantly yeah. never gave him a moment's peace he caught him out in the first half down on by the uh, sideline yeah. and got and got to the byline with the ball he Hangeland knew that he couldn't take a touch and if he did it had to be perfect every time because Vardy was on him straight away and that's what's caused that error there and it shows that's what you know Murray used to do it all the time Murray just runs at people he never stops running at them and he causes those errors so it's constant with him. So this is the difference between him and Fraser Campbell, for example. Fraser Campbell will sometimes run the defender down and sometimes won't. And as a result, you don't cause that uncomfortableness within the centre-backs. Mm. Vardy yeah. is he's running ragged and he knew it was a bouncing ball. If I take a touch, he's going to be on me. He might dispossess me. So I've got to rush my pass on a bouncing pass, difficult pass to make. And he's just give it to the worst person you can give it to at the moment in uh, Mares, who's just like an assist king, mm. and just slots the ball straight through to Vardy, who is the worst player you want going through on your goal at the moment. Yeah, I have to say I've I've got some admiration for a lot of a lot of uh, Leicester's um, play, but particularly those two. If you, and and it's a first time pass uh, on the sort of left foot volley by Mares. He sort of leans back and waits for the ball to, to land on his foot and almost pushes it through. And, and Vardy's already pointing where he wants it and on the move before anything happens. It's um, you know, it's quite quite breathtaking, really, to to actually watch watch them take advantage of that mistake and just you know, well, I say two touches, three touches because of him lifting it over in one touch and him putting it in. But first time pass was absolute quality from Mares. Uh, just to remind you, we've got the ultimate twenty five man squad coming up later on. Eric Young was the player put forward. For consideration at centre back, Eric the Ninja, many people will know him as. If you want to get a vote in on that? You can go to holradio.net forward slash vote and give us give us your vote and your reason. You get to in or bin. Izzy is a great player, no doubt in that. But is he one of our all time best centre backs and worthy of being in the twenty five man squad? Holradio.net forward slash vote. Uh, I'm sure we'll be tweeting that link out as well in just a moment. A couple of things to pick up on from earlier. Uh, Alex Penge, often of this parish, um, said he's got a feeling that Pardew is sticking with Balassi to preserve his value for imminent sale either in January or next summer. Well, it's going to go down if he carries on like his plan, isn't it? Get £3.50 to pack of crisps. Thank right. you, Nicholas. Uh, Chrissy Palace got in touch earlier on to say that you know, maybe Wilf was being saved uh, for the cup game. Um, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, well, we do. We have said we want to. We want a cup, and you know, yep. big game, big game coming up against City. So there you go. Maybe saving we are. Maybe saving Jules too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can Can I ask the question? Do yeah. we Do we sell Yannick Balassi? Would Do we take the money if it's big money and go and get a far more effective winger? Such uh, as. I I I I don't work for our scouting department. I have no idea. <laughs> um, just you know, Balassi. I love watching Balassi when he's on his game. He ex- he excites me like no one has but like Wilf. Those two players, I love going to watch them play when they're on their game. But unfortunately, Balassi's game, even when he's playing well, is one in five, one in six. Mm. He doesn't score goals. He rarely gets assists. Yeah, it's nope. weird. I, I feel different about it now than I did in the summer. And I, I'm not saying I want us to, to sell Balassi. What I want is for, for Yannick to find the form that he's capable of and, and for him, him and Wilf 
to be tearing up the wings like we know they can. But, you know, right now, right now, I, I, I think that there are players that could be more effective in that position. And I include players at the club in that. Um, go on, Patrick, you next, and then Nick after. I think. Terence, I mean, I, I never thought of it, but I'll be honest with you, the way he's playing right now, selling him would definitely be an option. But I'm going to really go back to what I said before. For who? Because honestly, you're, it's a great point about you know scouting department. But I've seen players come in from from other countries, Montero, IU, you know, decent players. Some some very very good. And I've seen you know there were some players you know like Redmond, etc. But I honestly don't think that on his on his day there's a better player for our system than yet than uh, Yannick Balassi. So I like to see him stay. But I can see the argument for people saying you know the one in five thing. He doesn't score. He doesn't get assists. I'm hoping that everything comes good you know in the next couple of months and he really starts to fire and scores goals and assists but i can see why people would say you know what based on how he's playing now but like nick said what are you gonna get for him based on how he's playing now not much i think he'll play well next week against man united because he does seem to play better against the bigger teams and palace seem to play better That's against right. the bigger teams mm-hmm. um no, there's no such word patrick i don't know where you're getting that from <laughs> sorry <laughs> so but you know perhaps we'll raise our game it's, it's always been the same with palace isn't it we 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 do pick up a game against a bigger team, and I know it's the psychology. And I, did you say we had a sports psychologist on later, Chris? We have, you know, yeah. Did, did we asked that question: well, How can a player be really, really good but really, really crap? I didn't. I didn't do, I didn't do the interview, mate. It was. Uh, it was. It was Ben Nagel. Do you remember him? From the old, no. from, from the old days. Ben Nagel. Yeah, yeah. He works for um, works for sort of Sky in the Daily Mail these days. But he just yeah, he popped along, did a little bit of recording for us. Wasn't that nice of him? That's brilliant. Well done, Ben he, he, he hates it when I mock him for his inability to show up for any whole radio work. <laughs> he really hates it, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, you know, let's, let's change direction a little bit on this. I thought um, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that I was really impressed with, um, with Vardy and Mares, but I also really want to quickly mention Albrighton gave us um, a really difficult yeah. time. He's, he's quite a talented player, uh, but Conte for them was an absolute rock in the middle there. He, you know, it, it just seemed to be t- just getting his foot on something at the last, you know, that key moment, just continuously. Good pass with the ball as well, but <laughs> he was just a nightmare for us. It just every time I thought, here we go, we're through. There he was. And if you've got an opinion on this, please go to foxesradio.net forward slash chat. <laughs> Fine. Oh, Fine. Nice I, one. I, I, I do Fox that to other radio. people. I apologise. <laughs> So I thought Leicester set out well, didn't they? <laughs> um, no, really, the, the systems were very similar. Um, I, I thought, and that, that was, you know, that was a factor of the second half, really. But um, to uh, to spend a bit of time on on Jason Punchin, uh, as as we often do, no gel this week, and believe me, that's not a tactical thing. It was just just how it worked out. It wasn't that we had our on air discussion last week, and I've sacked him or anything. Um, you know, he's just uh, he's spending a bit of quality time with the missus today, so you know, fair, fair play. Um, but I thought early on there was that we, there was a thing that we we always all of us have picked out. I think for punch, very early on he got on the end of a flick in the box, and it was it was no well I think it was just it was knocked back to him, and it was just one of those things we think he's going to hit it first time. He's just going to drill that. We're going to be one up in the first couple of minutes, and yet again just took too long with it, and it's it's very very frustrating, and that shows to me that he's not he's not confident anymore. You know, I, some, I disagree. Well, I don't care. I, I, I thought he played some splendid passes in the first well, half. Well, I haven't finished speaking, have I? I talked about something in the first two minutes. Joe, you know my next sentence was going to be? He, he made I've, some good passes. I've, 
after 19 minutes, he hit an absolutely sensational pass to Sacco, who should have done better. That was the next thing I was going to say. Captain jumping. Oh, why, why, <laughs> why did Sacco cross the ball and not shoot? I, honestly, he's in there, isn't he, Sacco, to shoot? That's, that's why we've got him. If and Sacco stops shooting, we're beeped. <laughs> <laughs> Self-beeping, I like it. But yeah, he is... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's why. That's why we brought him in. He's he's caught that disease. It's a worry for me. Uh, ab- absolutely right, though, Nick. Yes, Punchin was was responsible for some excellent passing. Uh, very actually did a lot better in not giving the ball away. But um, you know, we'll substitute in the second half. Perhaps Pardew's been listening to uh, to our radio. Um, he's one of the anyway. judges, isn't he? <laughs> what the football blogging awards? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Again, look, look, things weren't sharp in that first half, and I thought we we're gonna have a. We're going to have a better second half of it. But it was noticeable, I think, that we, we took a little bit of pressure at the start of that second half. And what I really did notice was that at the start of this season, we, when we were put under pressure um, by an opposing team, be it home or be it away, one of the things we did when we won the ball back in defence was we were set up for a counter. Clearances weren't just smacked up the pitch. Clearances were, were hit to an outlet. And you go back to last season, we were doing that as well. Sometimes that outlet was Blassie, sometimes it was Zaha, sometimes it was Punching. But there was, a, there was a quick two, three passes and we were set up for an attack, a proper counter. Because we're changing the way that we've played, because we go to more of a possession thing and you know, we've got Kabai in there to try and help us do that. We're much, we were much, much more set up you know, not, not to do that counter thing anymore. But it put us under pressure when we were just clearing the ball out. Um, so is there? A, do you think there's a... Perhaps a tactical shift that's causing us a bit of a problem as well. There, uh, I'll ask you that, Terence. I, do, I don't. I wonder if it's something to do with. Gel's been harking on a lot about the balance in the side, and as I always say, I feel without a focal point up top, our balance is a little bit lost there as well because we're not. We can't play the game that we want to play. Um, it is. It is. It is strange that the counter-attacking side of our game is almost been ripped out especially when it's been so successful for us even with Pardew there so maybe he's just going too far one way with it in terms of the possession holding onto the ball kind of game that he wants to play as opposed to just you know hitting teams hard and fast the other night at um last week at the vice president's dinner Pardew was saying that you know Steve Koppel as you know affects me most how I think about the game and so on and you know he, he he was a big influence on his managerial career, but Steve Koppel was the king of hard and fast on the counter. Mm. That's that's how we played the game, and I, I'm I just can't see that at the moment in our team. Yeah, uh, go on, Patrick. No, I mean I, I mentioned before. I I think we play much better, soaking up pressure, uh, getting uh, Yannick and Zaha wide, and, and beating teams at the counter attack. Whether it doesn't matter who the four strikers were. So um, I'm just really. I don't have a problem with the possession game. If it's effective, it's not proven effective for us. And I, you know, just as a, a balance thing, I like to see Kabai push further forward. If it means dropping uh punch and so be it. And then put uh, Kabai, the number 10, let him pick the passes out and put Jedi behind him and go from there. But again, go with the, go with the, what works best for us. If you've got a team that plays a certain way, go play to your strengths. And right now, um, we're not playing to our strengths, in my opinion. Yeah. And again, I would say we, we I, I would, categorize it as we're not starting playing to our strengths i think once good once point. we went one nil down and the, the tactical changes were good we went three at the back um you yeah. know because they because they only had one up and you know Mares had started well i think he was taken off the pitch actually and and you know it, they they just sunk further and further back and we we did the right thing by taking advantage of it and yes 
yes, wingers were taking people on, but more than that, we were just we were just more decisive, more urgent, and that's what I want to see Palace from the very very start of a game. Be urgent, you know. Just because we went and beat Chelsea by taking things a little bit casual and being calm and picking our moment, it doesn't mean that's the way to play every week. And I, I, you know, we're not I'm not saying it like you know Alan Pardew doesn't know that he's a quality manager and he knows that, but. I think the mentality for the game against Leicester was what what cost us, and, and you know that's that's how I feel about it anyway. Uh, any views? The oh, so there you go. You blame the clappers. Thanks for that. Bloody things. Maybe turn the sound down. It's horrible. Oh, why do they? Why? Why do they do it? It's embarrassing. At um, least you could turn the sound down. Plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, do you know what? So just on quickly on that. Um, I know you'll you'll see on match of the day and hear it. It sounded very loud at the end of the game when they were about to win, and everyone smacking those clackers against their hands. <laughs> Leicester's been one of the best atmospheres I've been to in an away ground by a home team. They've got that little contingent that's always to the left of the away fans. They've got the big guy on the drum at the top. They always have made a lot of noise. Right. Those clackers. It just seemed to Make their atmosphere sense. was nowhere near as good as it's. I've experienced it there before because. It takes away from everyone that more like natural raw sound of people clapping, and it just sounds like someone's like banging something, and it's just echoing around the stadium. It's really, it's just it's weird. And you know, they sp- we were speaking to a Leicester fan after they spend eleven grand a game on providing those. That's, wow. so that's like nearly quarter of a million a season with cup games. <laughs> That's it's insane. Really, it's, it is. It's, in, it's insane. I have to. I have to say, I got really, really. I was supposed to obviously be at the game, and as you know, Terence, I decided to sleep instead. You've um, done a hambo. Yeah, yeah. It's it's getting worrying how often I'm doing that at the moment. It's because I'm working too hard in my real life, in my real job. <laughs> you know, but, you um, priorities right, mate. Yeah, you're right there. <laughs> they pay me too much. It's difficult. Um, but yeah, no, just. I, I don't. I just don't get it, and, and it was really frustrating watching it on uh, on a stream. And you had um, the commentators talking about how great the atmosphere was at Leicester. It's like it's eighty five percent idiots sl- slapping some clappers about. You know, it's, it's really not. It's really not impressive at all. There's a spoonerism in there somewhere. Sure. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I don't know my choice of language, but anyway, and and the other thing, they're like, oh, the. Um, you know, you can feel the ground shaking with the atmosphere. So, yeah, you can feel the ground shaking if I... Well, not. let's pick someone who isn't as bad as me. If anyone jumps <laughs> up and down on their own, they can feel that, that stadium shake. I don't know what it's they big, built it on. It's like made of blancmange or something. The, the, the camera, when it was when they panned to the camera on the main stand, it, it was like, I don't know, I felt like I'd been drinking for nine hours because the screen was just shaking so much. Felt like you'd been drinking for nine hours or you'd been drinking for nine hours? That felt like I'd been drinking for nine hours. All right, okay, just checking. Uh, got some. Pint, by the way. Of Jack Daniels. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Other whiskeys some, uh... are available. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's not whiskey, it's a rye. Well, yeah, okay. It's <laughs> oh, 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 Nick, Nick is there a Nick, difference? Nick, if you're going to come in and correct people, let's get it right. It's a sour mash. God's sake. (laughs) It's only been distilled once, mate. That's why it's called that. If it's made in Kentucky, it's a bourbon. Anyway. um, (laughs) Is that all in your head already? Yeah. I I went on a whiskey tour and I was in Ireland. Now, some of that I may have imagined, but I think it's true. (laughs) I'd had quite a lot. Anyway. um, (laughs) You sounded uh, as knowledgeable as Rick from Porn Styles then, the way you came out with... um... I don't know who that is, but I assume porn is P-A-W-N in that. Yes, yes. Okay, good stuff. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Um, Brent Morgan got in touch earlier on talking about Balassi. It's like he can't be asked. Nav is saying your pod is more on target than his shots are on target. Tangent, <laughs> um, did you say? Yeah, it does say tangent, but I think I assume he meant on target and on target. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, whatever that meant. That, you must be right. Tangent. Yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> Mike St. John Bond. That's a... That's a it's Mike St. John Bond, is that? Sinjin. I don't know. I'm confused. Can't register shots on target. Has little end product and looks unfit for me. Sako and Zaha are far more competitive players. Uh, Nav, Nav again, but a uh, seriously off form. Fullbacks have learned how to hand them easily, stopping him turning. Uh, easily stopping him turning, and if it's hit, and if he's at them, they stand up, which is a very very good point that we hadn't really mentioned at all. That um, you know, opposition fullbacks would have done their work. I know Yannick talked talked in the past about doing his research on uh, the fullbacks he was facing, but clearly that's going on in the other direction as well and having an impact. Uh, Colin Squires, for all Blatty's skill, his end product is hit and miss, which doesn't help our strikers when they make runs. Um, Gary T, one, two, three, time to be dropped next week. Sacco and Zaha for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Chris Durham again. Uh, we possibly made a mistake in not letting me go in the last window. He's not playing well and is losing value every game. Uh, Mark Cole has uh, got lost in his own hype. The constant pointing to others to indicate where they should have run is blatant and annoying. It's funny, a lot of people say that about punching as well. Um, Nick? Yeah, Coach Matt in the chat room has said, um, Belassi said after he signed his new contract, he would play with extra vigour and energy. Coach Matt hasn't seen it yet. Um, yeah. They're asking about Jake Gray in the chat room, wholeradio.net slash dot net forward slash chat. Why no Jake Gray? Any ideas? Is it because well, he's. Gray's been. Um, I believe I read this. It might have been an article from Matt Moisdom or something like that. I can't remember. But um, the Gary Issa have been told by Pardew to play Gray in the, that number that rolled in behind the striker. Because uh, obviously Gray started, was, was playing out on the wing, wasn't he? Quite a lot. Occasionally up front. But it's been pl- told to sort of play him in that role and get him used to it so clearly he doesn't think he's ready yet you know he's been on the bench a couple of times but you know I think a lot of people are asking why no Saleh Kaikai being recalled and why no uh, Keshi Anderson coming back in and I think people have got to get a little bit of a grip there there's I'm all for giving youth a chance but we're a, you know we're a top half Premier League club now and players really have to be up to the standard because you get really badly punished if you're not um, and, and maybe you know the you know, maybe you can argue that if our strikers aren't scoring, what's the harm in giving someone like Anderson a chance? Well, Anderson would be much, much better off getting regular games for Doncaster. Kai Kai is much, much better off playing regularly this season for Shrewsbury than getting five or ten minutes off the bench for Palace here and there. So that, that's how I feel about it. Uh, Terence, you wanted to speak a while back, um, and uh, then I believe... Yeah, go on then. 
Yeah, um, initially it was on Balassi being found out. Um, the difference between Balassi and Zaha is Zaha has a nice blend of slowing it down and beating them with skill or just knocking them and running them. And he always keeps the defenders guessing on that point and what's he gonna, what is he going to do. And so it's harder to figure him out where Balassi always wants to just slow it down and do the skill. So that's that's something that Balassi should look at. When, when people are assuming you're going to do a skill, when you do a skill, they might be able to stop you. He should just stop doing skills for five games and just knock and run people. He's got the pace and power to get past them. So just keep having a go at them. Um, in terms of uh, youth team players, back at the uh, VP's dinner again on Thursday, Pardew directly said when asked the question why why not we get back uh, why are we not getting Anderson or Kai Kai back off loan he said Keshi Anderson has a lot to learn about league football he's not been in it very long and like you just said Chris he's better served playing regular football in the football league and working his way up he's got to prove that he can do it in the championship before you even think about getting him into a Premier League side but he did say that Kai Kai, again, he needs the experience in the games, but he thinks that at some point next season, Kai Kai could seriously threaten the first team. But um, he didn't say anything about Jake Gray, so I can't comment on that. Mm, OK, cheers for that. It's, it's a difficult one. And like I said, I, you know, I, I'm a little bit torn in sort of being quite so dismissive about it because I do want to I do love the, you know, the excitement of seeing a player from the youth team break in and, and surprise us. Do you know what I mean? It's like... When Klein came in and no one thought anything would happen, okay, it's down in the championship, but it was so good to see a player come in and, and just perform like that. And you, you, know, you do feel that, you know, come on, let's take a risk, let's let's just throw someone in. But you know, let's let, we've got to be we've got to be ready, haven't we? They've wasn't got to be that ready. Neil War- was that under Neil Warnock? Yeah, wasn't his philosophy? Can they run fast? <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, and uh, that's, that's a fair comment, but. Um, he had mentioned actually, like a couple of weeks before, I think he was just saying, you know, that if you know if he'd got an, if he'd got an injury at right back, he's got this lad in the youth team that he'd throw in straight away. And I think it's, I think everyone's on record in saying that they didn't quite know why he saw what he saw in Klein, but you know, he did, he did see it. And, and like I say, I love the excitement of that. I love the excitement of a, of a young player getting involved. But let's talk about talk about the key instance from the game. We are we are running out of time. We focused on a lot of uh, a lot of. The sort of the major talking points, but we haven't really talked about the penalty decisions. Now, let's not dress this up as us saying we deserve to win the game or anything like that. You know, the penalties, whether if they were both given, it, we'd won it. It would have been one of the most fortunate wins in a long, long while. But if we'd, um, you know, if we got something out of the game, we would have been lucky. I really do think so. Um, but the foul on Wilf. Well, I call it a foul. Patrick, your initial reaction was dive. I still don't think it was a, a penalty. I'm going to be totally honest. What? And, and this is what this is what. Yeah. Wait, let let me let let me finish. Oh, let me finish. I know it's not the, flipping it. This is the <laughs> thing. We've won penalties in the last three matches. Now we all know you shouldn't. You should look at things in isolation. But referees just they just don't. And for me, as much as the Stone Cold penalty, the Watford one definitely was, and the one in West West Bromwich. You could argue the one against West Ham, the Gale penalty, was kind of close. And I'm going to say the same thing about yesterday. I think it was close. I think it could have been a penalty for sure. But I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying. I don't think it was a Stonewall penalty. I really do not think so because of the way that Wilf, to me, embellished it at the end. So if he, had he not gone down so theatrically at the end, it would have, to me, it would have been more of a penalty. But to me, he kind of went down. I don't think Wilf ever dives. So don't get me wrong on that. 
But I remember a couple of years ago when Durham, Adrian Durham made that whole anti-Palace penalty thing. And I think it's starting to come true a little bit now with people looking for Wilf as he joined the penalties. And I think he's got to be very careful about how he goes down. Meaning, you know, if you're going to go down, go down, but don't make it so theatrical. So I'm not sure that was a stone one people make it out to, out to be. So, and that's my thoughts on that penalty. I'm not really sure well, again it was a penalty. You know, he's, he's been doing it again, don't you, Durham? Of course uh, I do. Obviously, I saw, obviously, yeah, but... yeah, obviously the attention. <laughs> oh, you know what it is? It's, I he mean, loves it. Let's talk about getting him on this show. I'd have to sit that one out, as with Terence, I know. Um, <laughs> honestly, I just, I just wouldn't be able to handle it. But um, yeah, yeah no, nobody wants to see ginger on ginger violence. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. But, um, oh look, I can't agree with you, Patrick. I, I, I can't agree that it was, a, that it was a dive. It, it was, it was a dive no, off. Say, no, no, I didn't say it was a dive. I said mm. he embellished at the end. I didn't say he dove. I said I don't yeah. think the world died. Well, dove. Dove, we're not, we're not having that. But no, come on, Dive? seriously. I, I just, I just think. Um, well, basically, when it, when it happened, you said dive. To be honest, in our uh, in our chat, but we won't dwell on that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just, I, it was clear contact for me. And he has, he has. I suppose they said it on goals on Sunday when I was watching a bit earlier on today that it was actually his exaggeration that's probably cost him there. I'm not so sure. I don't Thank think we'd have you. Got it That's anyway. what I just said. I don't agree with it, though. I, I, don't, think, I don't think we'd have got it anyway, because we're just not getting anything. Can, it's just uh, how it is. Can Wilf have his yellow card rescinded? Because it obviously no. was a dive. No. Coach Thanks. Matt in the chat room, wholeradio.net slash chat, said it was a stonewall pen, but the ref was never going to give it, as we've had our fair share of penalties. Yeah. But then... Uh, Shifty97, as we talked, saying he agrees referees can't treat Palace fairly on too many occasions, then they'd be playing fairly. <laughs> and there's the whole thing, refs prepare themselves by looking at videos of prior matches. Now, we had the same, I don't know if it's a problem, but with AJ years ago, when, when he was getting lots of penalties, and then suddenly we went through a barren spell, didn't we? Maybe that was my personal life. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, we had the same thing then. If, if you've got a tricky player who's going to run with the ball at their feet and twist and turn in the box, it's inevitable somebody's going to bring them down. And if, if, if it's just he's good at getting the penalties. Yeah, well, he is until, he, until yesterday. Look, I, again, if you look at the... Um, what was the penalty against? Who was that again? West Brom, uh, where he went down just fractionally before Brunt's challenge. It was a, pe- it was a penalty all day because he just... <laughs> He just got you know nowhere near the ball, but but it was highlighted that Wilf was on his way down before that. And like you say, that's what that's what people referees are going to be looking at. Things like that, you know, we're thinking. Well, I don't want to be the one who gets conned and you know give away a game. But okay, okay, the Wilf one has not been given. Uh, Terence, sort of last word on that. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's contact, but Wilf it's his own fault. He flicks his legs out, looks straight at the ref. However, Mash of the Day did us a Mash of the Day did us a I don't I because of the embellishment, I don't think it's penalty. It comes across as a dive because he's he's dived, he's flicked his leg out towards the that's, thing. That's if he I just said. run if he just runs straight through the middle of the two guys, it's a penalty. There's nothing Mike D can do. If he just runs at a normal Agreed. trajectory and goes over the guy's leg in a natural way like he would have done because the guy fouled him. But it's his own fault of flicking his legs out. Absolutely unforgivable he shouldn't be doing that he's thrown his hands in the air looked straight at the ref disagree with it completely I don't want to see that from Palace players I know people will say yeah but everybody else does it I don't care just go down naturally mate you were going to win the pen (laughs) however Master of the Day did us a massive favour because they all sat there Gary Lineker Danny Murphy Ian Wright all said Stonewall penalty they did 
So what? So people are going to see that. Everyone's going to see that, and it's kind of blown that tosser um, from talk sport out of the water as well because he's trying to because more people watch match of the day to listen to his poxy little show so um, I've never to it. what's it like it's, it's like a school playground he's I'd like say... he's like he's like the big yeah. boy bully and if anyone starts to get a point on him he just turns them off yeah it's sort of like sports jeremy kyle isn't it but anyway um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's um second second penalty what do we think about that um i'm not going to start with patrick again in case he enrages oh, more listeners oh, but... come on no that was a handball <laughs> yeah go on, go on that was a handball no there's no was doubt it? that was definitely it was if that was a handball that was a penalty and he didn't see and he didn't call it but it was that to me that was definitely a handball yeah for me the most frustrating thing about that is is it stops the ball going through to dan who you know Okay, he, he might have missed, I guess, but you know, it it was there was no one else near him. He was would have been completely free. And for me, that that's it's unforgivable that mistake. You know, someone's got to see that. They have got to see that because you know what else? What else has it, has it hit? What else has happened there? There's a whole. Everyone knows. You know, he's generally looking at the ball. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a, there's a you know a team of officials there. I, I cannot forgive that. I can forgive the Wilf one because of, of how it came about. We described that the way it's been. You know, everyone knows why that wasn't given. What on earth was? Can't say. Okay, the ref didn't see it. Is the ref the only one looking? I, I'm not having that. It's it's uh, it was a, it was a shame. It was a real shame not to get that. And perhaps it would have been unjust. And as Cole Mortimer mentioned early on, pens or not, can't keep relying on them, but. It was there. It was there for all to see, and that was the big frustration for me. Uh, any alternate views on that, on the handball? No, his hands were in an unnatural position, weren't they? They yeah, were unless, like, like it was it doing <laughs> some sort of signal to bring an airplane in or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, um, Christian f***s it up. <laughs> that's do his have, name. That is his have, name. Do we have to beat it? Uh, beep it? Beat it? Beep. Uh, well, that's beat the wrong it, word. Beat it. <laughs> I mean, bleep it. Do we have to bleep his surname? Christian Fuchs. Do we have to pronounce it? No, like it's only it's still only swearing up north, isn't it? Surname you have to bleep. Wow, wow. Uh, Eight thirteen, <laughs> and Nick has dropped that. Was that with a K? Yeah, which is a K and Z. That's That's fine. That's fine. That's acceptable. Sorry, I thought you'd swum. Um, okay, well, <laughs> last last bottle call always before we get into the forward reviews is the uh, is the man of the match discussion. Um, who was our best player then, Terence? Um, Patrick Bamford. <laughs> There you go. That's that's the shout. Um, it was very impressive off the bench. I'm not sure I can give it to him, but I'm going to take the luxury of still being able to think about it and ask Nick who his player of the match was. My player of the match, Kelly. I thought was one of our better players. Kabai had a poor game. I'd go for Kelly. He was he was up and down the wing quite a bit. He didn't make too many errors, and he seems to be settling in that position a bit better than he has been in the past. He's, he's, I feel he's definitely a better left back than he is a, he is a right back in, in a Palace shirt, certainly. But there you go, out of, bit out of the blue that one. I wasn't expecting a vote for Kelly, but, you know, I encourage it. Um, what do you think then, Patrick? Who's, who's your your best player at a Palace shirt? Wayne Hennessy. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm with Terence. I'm thinking with Banford or Zaha. I thought Zaha was very good off the bench. So despite the embellishment, I'll give it to Wilf. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go MacArthur for me. He didn't have a particularly huge impact on the game, but I didn't see him. I didn't see him get pulled out of position at all. Uh, he, you know, he stuck to his stuck to his guns there, and I thought he was pretty. You know, he was his usual self. And he didn't get overlived. choked this time. He didn't. You're quite right. There was no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, thing is, Terence Pearson can handle himself. You know, that's the main thing you've got to remember. 
Oh, I can handle myself. Do you know? Do you know what the um, the reason I said Bamford as well is because I was with Nick. I thought Kelly was probably about the match, but I can't give it to him. So <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Nick got a last little point to add there. Yeah, um, with McCarthy, with MacArthur, he he had an amazing run through, and then um, in the last thirty seconds should have had a brilliant shot, and he just totally fluffed the shot. And uh, <laughs> I think he was a bit. Um, what was you all right? He was a bit amazed that he'd had the shot because he, he turned around and laughed. Yeah. yeah, that's that's we were all laughing inside the stadium because it was brilliant. It was like he looked like almost Messi-esque because it was yeah. all on his left foot, like dribbling, beating another one, beating another one, beating another one. And just when do you think, oh, he's going to bend it in the far corner? Didn't yeah. he go out for a throw? Yeah, pretty near enough. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't good. And yeah, he, Jeff he, Thomas did. Even in the circumstances, he couldn't help but laugh at it because it was funny. It was really, really funny. All right, so... Um, yeah, that's our discussion. It'd be good to hear uh, who your man of the match was at home. Tweet at HOL Radio or head to HOLradio.net forward slash contact to let us know. Uh, while you're doing that, I think we'll uh, take a moment and listen to the best, well, I say the best, the ones we picked out of your full word reviews. Got something you'd like to get off your chest? Tweet us now at Whole Radio. Four word reviews. Dan Eagle 24 can't score open play. Mark Cole, start Jedi, bench punch. Nick Philpot, how many shit reps? Ian Groom, lack of firepower up front. At misinformed 11, denied two clear penalties. South London Eagles, we need Connor Wickham. Tim Green at Timothy Green 88. Injuries costing us points. Lisa at Troop. Raider made us toast. <laughs> like bread made toast. Uh, <laughs> James Sorby, we're still above Chelsea. Simon Pizzi, Gel's balance concerns correct. Timothy A. Reader, Lester thank Mike Dean. Jimmy Dawes, stick sick. Table. Seven. Eight. Eight. Seven. Eight. 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 Nine. Still eighth in table. Nine. Four word reviews. Review the game next week by tweeting hashtag four word review to add whole radio. The all time Palace 25 man squad. Tweet us your suggestions and we'll choose in or bin. Anyway, the Ultimate 25 Man Squad feature has been running through the course of the season. As mentioned in the introduction, uh, we've currently uh, got a squad. It's starting to get a bit tense, but we've got currently got a squad where the goalkeeper is Nigel Martin with two spaces there. Uh, there are six spaces left in defenders, which are current, is currently occupied by Scott Dan and Kenny Sanson uh, so far. In the midfield, there's Wilf Zaha, Peter Taylor and Jeff Thomas. Uh, a couple of spaces for wingers and the rest some midfielders. And then forwards, we've got Ian Wright and Andy Johnson with three more spaces there. Uh, and only the only player to have been binned so far is uh, Michael Hughes, sitting there very, very angry. Um, you know, if Robbie Savage gets anywhere near him, he's probably going to chin him like he did in his playing days, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, so there we go. Um, we asked for centre-backs this week, and Eric Young was the player who got the most votes to be in consideration. Uh, so... So we will be talking about Eric the Ninja today. Uh, just to quickly mention that uh, Jim Cannon has been put forward a number of times, obviously all-time record appearance holder and an absolute legend at Palace. Um, 
But uh, people will be angry that we're not talking about him. Well, next time, make sure you get involved. And there's three more centre-back spaces to go. One of those will be filled potentially today by Eric Young, unless, uh. unless we bin him, unless you bin him. Go to holradio.net forward slash vote uh, to make well to give your vote, whether you want to in or bin Eric Young. You'll have the length of time we take to discuss and give our votes, and then we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm not going to start with myself. I'm going to start with, uh, with Terence. Now, Terence, you, you'd have seen Ninja play, I guess. Um, yeah, just caught the end of him. I don't, what, what I most remember about um, Eric Young is Dougie Friedman tearing him a new one when we beat him when we beat Wolves three two at Sellers and he scored a hat trick. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's actually my last in memory of Eric Young. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah I've, I only caught the end of him and didn't really, you know, he was part of the squad, wasn't he? He, you know, he was. Very, very important to us and um, and iconic as well, as his headband always showed. But I can't really talk as uh, someone who saw him regularly and so on because I was just too young. And obviously, when you're young as well, you tend not to appreciate defenders as much as you do when you get older. Yeah. Well, that's for me anyway. I, I you know, you you want this. You want to look at the strikers and so on. So that's all. I've not got much else to say on it. No, no, that's fair enough. We all have to obviously listen to what other people say and mm-hmm. make your judgment at, uh, at the end when I come back to you. I'll talk a bit about my memories of Young. He's one of the, f- the first players I took proper notice of when I started to become obsessed with Palace. Uh, his partnership with Andy Thorne was just immense. Um, and it's interesting, looking back at it now, we, we, you know, we signed him as a 30-year-old from Wimbledon. Um, and you know, even now, if you sign a player at 30, everyone thinks, oh, you know, we got we're getting him at the end of his career, but he produced some absolutely superb performances for Palace, and he was just an absolute colossus in there. You know, one of my biggest memories of Eric Young was him smashing Dion Dublin's leg uh, just after he joined Man United from Cambridge, and putting, him <laughs> putting him out for about a season. Great memory. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, um, but now he's you know he was he was superb for us, and for me, there's absolutely no doubt because he was a proper hero of mine. Um, and I'd love to love to get an interview with him someday. So if anyone knows him, give me a shout. Get some contact details over. But yeah, he was he was brilliant for me, and it's always going to be an in. Um, Patrick. Well, as far as contacting him, apparently he works for an, as an accountant near Heathrow, yeah. so you can check that out. But um, you know, played for Palace for five years, came from Wimbledon, part of that crazy gang team, and like you said, a great partnership with Andy Thorne. You know, big part of our 1990 FA Cup run, the '91 team that you know finished in third place, and he was a great player. Um, I didn't realise he had played more for Path than any other team. I thought he'd be Wimbledon longer than us, but he was at us longer. And he was a, you know, iconic player from the headband standpoint. Um, I'm not sure, honestly, though, whether he was one of our better centre-halves. But I really loved watching him play. Who would you put above him, Patrick? Jim Cannon. For one, honestly. OK, well, we've got three more spaces, haven't we? Jim, Can- Jim Cannon, Craig Moore, Mel Blythe. Those well, your, you know what? Those are your options, really. Let me tell you something. Excellent uh, call on Mel Blythe, by the way, because I totally forgot about him. And, you know, Craig Moore wasn't there a long time. Craig Moore was a, was a brilliant centre-back for a very short time. So, right there. Thank you, Terence. Terence gave you three. But, again, um, great player for us, Eric Young, and I really enjoyed when he was here. Um, so, um, got nothing bad to say about the guy at all. But uh, I'm not sure if he's one of our top 25 players of all time. Well, that is the question. Nick, what do you think? He's like, he's as hard as Claude Davis, but he had a footballing brain. Well, I like that, Eric. <laughs> nice, <laughs> And he's nice. Eric Ninja, not Eric the Ninja Young. Eric, oh, wow. there's no the in Eric Ninja yeah, exactly. Young. Um, exactly. Right. 
he he just he was so quiet and unassuming off the pitch. He's well spoken. He's articulate. He's doing all those um, sums all the time, wasn't he? That was the thing. He was obsessed with. Yeah, that's, sorry, he's an accountant. That's what that was. I, yeah, I shut up. Sorry, yeah, numbers guy. Where's that um, tumbleweed sound effect that's normally reserved for me? <laughs> it is for you, yeah. I haven't got it Let's set up for me. Come on. But um, 161 games, which is a fair few for, for a centre-back. Yeah. Would he have been as good without Andy Andy Thorne with him? Who knows? Um, but he was he was rock solid. He was, he was a rock solid centre-back um, in the season that we finished third in the top division. We finished third in the top division one year, and he was part of that because... He 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 helped us keep a lot of clean sheets, and he, he was a colossus at the back. I'm I'm going to have to toss a coin whether he's in or inning inning or binning. But it was just a shame that um his last season for us. I know he rejoined in um 1997, didn't he? But didn't actually play before going off to Enfield and then Egham. But he fell out with Alan Smith, didn't he? Is that the reason he got dropped and then didn't didn't appear until the end of the season, last few games? Mm, probably. Don't know. That's what it says on Wikipedia. <laughs> well, then, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, didn't um, Coleman come through that year, by by the way? Is that why? I think maybe because it might Coleman. have been. I mean, yeah, would Coleman be, be above Eric Young? You know what? Coleman might have, it's a great shout, Nick, because Coleman plays so many different positions. You yeah, know, he plays up front. Yeah, that's yeah, a really lot, good, that's a good shout, Chris Coleman. Nick's got... Keep spaces for utility men who didn't have a fixed position. <laughs> good, like point, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it later. I'm sure we something we can Warhurst. argue about. <laughs> oh, don't start with Warhurst. Come on. Excuse um, <laughs> <laughs> me. Uh, sorry, Terence, you were saying something there. Yeah, Nick has got he's got a good point in terms of Eric Young did it at a, the very top level. You know, he we finished third in the old first division. And there's a lot to be said for that, to be consistently playing in a team that in one season can get to an FA Cup final, finish third the following season and win the almighty best trophy of all times, NF Data Systems yeah. Cup. And so there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And when you, I'd, I kind of semi-joke about Craigmore in terms of he was brilliant and if he would have just not got repossessed, he could have probably gone on to become one of our best centre-backs ever. But... You know, it's it's a tough one just in terms of in and around, you know, who's left, how many places we've got to go and so on. So it's going to be an interesting one. Well, to, to pick out a few comments before we uh, announce the results, um, I'd say last, probably the last knockings, if you want to get a vote in, go to hlradio.net forward slash vote and give us an in or bin. Probably about two minutes left to do that. Basically, as long as it takes me to finish this sentence, read out a couple of comments and then get a final in or bin from the from the panel. Um this, I think this has come from Trevor in Nova Scotia. I might be right here. Uh, Eric played a large part in that wonderful third-place season, terrified opposition players. His last-ditch tackling skills were the best I ever saw at Palace, and he was an absolute beast in the air. Uh, Andy Tookie has gone for a great player, but too many others in this position. Um, so you can see which way he's going. Um, and Andy Stepney has gone, went, gone for... And this is very much how I would sum it up as well gone for in with absolute rock evil headband childhood memories <laughs> sums it up perfectly well done um so that's very very close there so i'll give it a couple more minutes to see if we get any more votes in hlradio.net forward slash vote plenty coming in and it's very 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 close there uh go on terence give me an in or bin um just before i give you my vote anyone tell me where eric young was born singapore <laughs> very good oh wow Wikipedia, baby wikipedia <laughs> Wikipedia. 
But he played for Wales. Yes, he did. He did. He did yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It was very. It, uh, this is not from Wikipedia. This is from the Crystal Palace, the complete record book that's written by Ian King. Um, they talk about it. They were really unlucky, Wales, to not qualify for the '94 World Cup. They just missed out in the end. So he nearly went to the World Cup as a Palace player as well, which we all know has been a bit of a rarity in our history. That's indeed. That's indeed. Um, um, in or bin? Um, <laughs> I think. Um, for me, my last three are probably going to be Blythe, Cannon, and Eric Young. So he's going in. In it is. In. It's an in from Terence, Nick. Um, he was actually part of the 93-94 Football League First Division PFA Team of the Year, which featured a few Palace players. Uh, we had Nigel Martin in there. Um, Eric Young was in there. Um, Chris Armstrong was in there. Was he playing for Palace at, in that season? I don't think he was, was he? Maybe he was. I anyway, was, yeah. in no, 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 that's, that's, that, that's the season it became the Premier League, isn't it? So he was, it was yeah, that's he right. Was, well, yeah, he was with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so well, it wasn't. A, it wasn't the season. It wasn't the Premier League. It wasn't the Premier League. It was the second oh, okay. division. Okay. Oh, yeah. right. okay. I got you. Go on then, Nick. Uh, in or bin, please. In. So two in so far, Patrick. What you gonna do? You know what? Um, my initial thought was that he wasn't going to make it, but you've both convinced me that he was an iconic player. And he was part of a great team, one of the best team Palace teams. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna end Eric Young. Good stuff. Uh, I already told you earlier, but just to clarify, I'm going with an in, and I'm happy to announce, although it's just by one vote, (laughs) (laughs) the listeners have put him in uh, in as well. So there you go. Eric Young makes the ultimate 25-man squad. Well done, Eric. Ninja. (laughs) Like it. So uh, anyway, coming up next, we've got uh, the interview with Paul McVeigh. Homesdale Radio, Football Blogging Award Finalist 2015, www.holradio.net. Okay, welcome back to Homesdale Radio. We're now joined by former Norwich, Tottenham and Northern Ireland footballer Paul McVeigh, who since retiring has moved on to a successful career in sports psychology, uh, where he works with the Palace Youth Sides, among many others. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us today. No problem, my pleasure. Uh, we'll obviously start with a, a question about Norwich and, and your playing career. Um, you were there for the majority of your career, sort of played play for them in the top flight. Um, and obviously in the 2004-05 season, Norwich and Palace both got relegated on the, on the final day. Obviously the majority of our listeners are, are Palace fans. What, what memories do you have of that season? Of the season, it was, uh, it was really, really enjoyable because it was, even though it started at Spurs and we were in the Premier League at the time and, and I made my debut in the first year, professional. I didn't really play any other times in the Premier League for Spurs so that was in 1997 so from leaving Spurs in 2000 going to join Norwich City we had a team that sort of was pretty much uh, you know in the ascendancy for a couple of years and you know for, for instance in 2001 we nearly got relegated but then in the 2002 season we uh, we got to the playoff final and lost on penalties to Birmingham of obviously getting very, very close to getting to the Premier League. So by the couple of seasons later, when we had got promoted and played in the Premier League, it was you know, it was a fantastic achievement for, for me personally to feel like that would really accomplish something of, of building that team and and you know winning the league and, and run away with the championship to get in and, and sort of deserving our place in the Premier League. But it was just such a, a massive step up at the time where it felt like that for me because the, the difference between the championship and the Premier League was... Well, 
it appeared huge at the time because everything that you did in the championship, you know, just was was seen insignificant compared to playing in the Premier League and against the best players in the world and and just everything from the athleticism to the quality to the you know, the speed of the game at times and the, just the difference in the size of the players, never mind the you know, the, the ability on the ball. So with all those taken things into account it was it really was a fantastic experience. But ultimately obviously we we got relegated on the last day of the season, which was really disappointing because if we had won, we would have stayed up. Yeah. Um, the two games against Palace, there was a one-all draw at Carrow Road, which you played, and then a three-all draw in April uh, at Sellers Park, which you weren't involved in. Do you have any specific memories of either playing at Sellers Park or against Palace in general during your career? Um, yeah, it seemed to be... Uh, I scored a couple of goals against Palace um, at Carrow Road, so that was that seemed to be always the good side. But then, for I don't know why this happens, but for whatever reason, then at Sellers Park, we just always seem to be really poor. You know, I can remember, you know, a couple of games where we just, you know, we're just nowhere near, you know, the level that we would have been in coming into that game and, and you know, and then just go on. And I just remember having never really having good experience of coming away from Sellers Park and, you know, that's probably just something to do with the, the crowd and, you know, how deciphers they are and, you know, yeah. the way the team attacks you when you're down there and, and I think that's just a that's really just credit to the our fans and, and you always knew it was going to be a difficult game no matter what sort of standard in the Palace team was but yeah I definitely definitely at Selhurst Park never really had any good memories of, of playing there against Palace and then but then up at up at Carr Road I scored a couple of times scored a and just got a good goal on the left foot and I scored a header actually against uh, whatever Dean Austin was marking me at one time and um but yeah so it, it's funny how funny how you get sort of such contrast and opinions of playing against the same team yeah uh, and then as an international footballer, obviously you played for, for Northern Ireland, uh, which would have seen you play alongside Michael Hughes, and, and Palace fans have really fond memories of him and his time at Palace. Uh, what was he like as a player and, and a teammate? I thought he was a fantastic player, to be honest. He was, he, because he pretty much played his entire career in the Premier League, and, and I know um, he was part of the team that, you know, that got up into the Premier League again with with Palace. And I, I, just, I just thought, I looked at him, and I just thought, what a player, you know, especially because he was my my size and you know stature and he seemed to have like all the qualities that I that I wanted to possess and, and so he really was a good role model and then in terms of what he was like away from away from the training pitch he was just such a funny guy and you know and, and really was a live wire and so he, for me he was he was someone that I really looked up to and respected because I was thinking well he's a couple of years older than me and I really wanted to do what he was doing which was you know mm. playing the majority of your career in the Premier League and, and also having the success he had obviously with, you know, like the West Ham and yourselves Okay and then after you retired from football um, quite a successful career you set out ThinkPro and started working with footballers uh, as a sports psychologist what was the, the thinking behind that can you tell us a little bit about it I mean was it always something that you wanted to do? I think it was something that I sort of needed to do for myself because I realized quite early on, maybe when I was 17 or 18, that, that the one area of my game that I could drastically improve was the mental side of the game because, you know, physically I'm not going to have huge gains because, you know, I'm not going to suddenly, you know, grow four or five inches. And mm. technically, you know, especially once you get to 17, 18, again, there's not a huge difference between someone who's 18 and someone who's you know, 28. I think technically most people are generally somewhere near the same level. So for me, it seemed the area that, that I could improve the most. And, and so I started looking into it. And really, it was a, 
it was really sort of a journey of, of educating myself, knowing that you know no one's going to suddenly come along and tell you to do this and, and try and help you with it. So I knew I needed to do it myself. And and it it was something that I always was very open to. And, and especially if any any time the clubs, well, it was basically Norwich were the ones, the only ones who actually um, gave that kind of uh, psychological support. That I was definitely open open to it and, and embraced it. And the, and the two guys I worked with were were very, very helpful and, and and then so because I had such a good experience of it and because I was open to the fact that and I believed that it, it had a huge impact on my career, then taking that all into account I just thought, well, it's a great it's a great um route to explore when I finish football and, and so I decided to look into it and started started working in the area all around sort of peak performance in, in the business world and, and doing that and that's why I ended up doing keynote speaking, which I still do for companies and organizations and and that allowed me to, as I was doing that for the first couple of years, I was thinking, well, this is great in the corporate world, but actually this is probably more appropriate, and especially given my background, that I should probably be doing it in the sports world. And, and obviously football was the the ideal choice, to, to, or the ideal sport to investigate. And then as soon as I started doing it, we just got immediate success. So we started working with Norwich City Youth Team, and in their our first season working with with Norwich City youth team, they won the FA Cup against Chelsea, and that was obviously incredible success for for the youth team, and also uh, the fact that we were working with them. And, and so, because that went so well, and then for the last three years, we've been working with Crystal Palace as well as Norwich City first team, as well as a whole array of uh, professional footballers all around the country, everything from Premier League all the way down to League Two. So, it's a good, it's a very good platform for me to be able to use. Sort of the knowledge and experience that I've built up over the over the twenty years in professional football, and be able to pass it on in a way that I believe is is incredibly important, and, and definitely is an area of football that probably doesn't get the maybe the significance or the I don't know the priority that I think it deserves. Mm. Yeah, that brings me on quite nicely to my next point, actually, about sort of Palace and and what you do there. Uh, working with the youth team, sort of under twenty ones, under eighteens. What specifically is your is your role at the club? Do you help with the mental side of things on the pitch too? The right way to be thinking about the game, or or is it purely sort of mental state off the pitch? How to deal with the demands of, of being a pro and things like that? I think it's a bit of everything. I think initially, um, whenever it was brought in, it was really to try and help the players perform better from a mental point of view, and and that was you know that and that still is the. You know, probably is the priority of, of whenever we're working with the players. That's that's what I would maybe call like as the the overarching theme that I want to work on. But then, because you know it's 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 impossible to to work with a player and and only work with the stuff they do on the pitch because you know it's just you, you can't really separate the professional personal life of a player. So things they do away from the pitch are going to be just as important for what they're doing on the pitch. And and so whenever you can try and help them understand what they need to do and, and really it's just it's an education process because you know let's be honest a 16 17 year old lad isn't going to have the same knowledge experience expertise of you know a 25 26 year old or i'm 37 now so you know and i've obviously built up a lot of a lot of experience and knowledge and and what it takes to to um be successful at the at the very pinnacle of of professional football so really you're just trying to impart some of that knowledge on and and not really, I don't know. I suppose not judge the players of of where they are now, but more how do they how can they aspire to, and and how can they get to the places where they believe they want to go. 
Mm. Um, I think a lot in the past has been made of Raheem Sterling and players like that and, and his situation. And there are certainly cases in the past of, of players who have turned pro and, and sort of gone off the rails or, or not been able to deal with it. Is part of your role to keep players grounded and to make sure they're not, I guess, overawed by their situation? Um, I don't know. Not necessarily. I don't think I would say that in terms of keeping players grounded because... I don't know exactly what you, what you what you could do really to keep someone grounded. What are you trying to get tap them a slap on the head or something like that? If they're getting big headed, or I don't really know how to how you would do that because it's it's I think it's in a player's nature or you know it's 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 in their you know probably it's part of their personality whether you call someone I don't know flash or you know big headed or whatever. So if if someone's like that, you know, no matter what a lot of people say to them or do, they're probably going to be like that. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Paul. We'll leave it there. Really appreciate you, you taking the time out of your day to, to chat to us, um, and hopefully uh, the listeners enjoy it. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Listen to Homestale Radio on the go using our Apple iOS app. Download at holradio.net forward slash iOS. And uh, thank you very much uh, from me to both Ben Nagel uh, for conducting the interview and for Paul McVeigh for getting involved as well. Uh, there were a couple of bits that are missing from that uh, conversation for technical reasons, but just to let you know what they, uh, what they were roughly, um, <clears throat> was that it was a conversation regarding Saleh Kai Kai, and, um, and Paul McVeigh revealed that he's sort of known him for about three years and that he does tick all the boxes for someone who's got, got a chance of making it, but made the point that, you know, as well as being a, a proper athlete, you've got to be very, very good tactically and you've got to be, you know, psychologically inclined to actually make it and, and you know this is there's so many players you sort of look around and you know the, the guy next to you might play four or five games at, at first team level but that doesn't make a career and he says it's about you know in a general sense it's about taking youth players who are you know in with a chance of playing at the highest level and actually com- you know communicating to them that it is a whole career you've got to uh you know you've got to get through so I thought it was very very interesting stuff there and a little bit different uh, from anything else that uh, you, you kind of hear, really, you know, he, he's taken a different direction in his career and gone for sports psychology, and it's fascinating stuff. What do you think, Terence? Yeah, it's, it is. I think um, the psychological thing is is obviously a very good thing to be talking to these players about because so many of them will not make it, and you need to have something else available for you after. You need to be mentally prepared when football's not that viable option for you anymore. But it's very interesting. So, like, you have to be mentally prepared to play that level of football and um, I come from a very affluent area in terms of where professional footballers have come from. from for example at school I played with Ashley Cole for three years at school and the difference in th- there were better players technically in our team who never got anywhere near making it and the difference was because Ashley Cole's mental state was far better than all these other kids. All these other kids were, you know, interested in women and so on, so on. Ashley Cole was football only, seven days a week, trained. If he made mistakes, he looked at what he did to make himself better and so on. So even from that young age, he had that mental state to become a professional footballer. So I think it's really good that there's people like Paul McVeigh like helping these players to get into that sort of position and also to help them if they don't end up making it. I think it's a very, very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Valiance. That's not quite the right word, but you know, <laughs> it's, um, a, it's a worthwhile profession, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's something that's required in the game and something that you know it's very, very important. And it, it's a you know, it will it will have a huge impact on on those young players. I think 
Nick, you wanted to make a point on that, or was it a weak joke of some kind? No, it wasn't a weak joke for a change. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, isn't that what the, the study centre are also involved in? Is like the rehabilitation of players that don't quite make it. Or did yeah, I, yeah, the, uh, yeah. That I mean, obviously, there. Jell's uh, been on about um, how much fundraising is needed for the study mm. centre and how important that <laughs> is. That we shouldn't forget about these these players because think about how many players are cast aside a year and they 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 they're picked from the age of seven or eight plucked and you know for ten years if you think oh I'm going to make it I'm going to make it as a footballer and then sort of in the ninth or tenth year of being with the club you dropped yeah. it must be bloody heartbreaking mustn't it, it, is, it like you say family, it's, for your friends for it's, the, the the percentage is huge and it's funny I did you know did some work looking at some local football over the last sort of year or so. And um, the number of names that crop up in the sort of, um, you know, the seventh or eighth tier, if you like, of the Football League pyramid down in the sort of the Ryan and Ishbian leagues and stuff like that. The number of names week on week that would crop up and I think, what well, you know, that you, you used to be really highly rated at Palace, you know. Uh, it's, it's amazing the number of, that you see. I mean, Tor- Torian Roberts, I can remember being one of them who, who was doing the skills school with Kieran Jalali, um, if you remember that. And they sort of like, he was the one who won it. Um, yeah, once, by doing by doing the backflip, and it's like you think, <laughs> yeah. wow, he's this is a kid who could do keep you up and incorporate a backflip, and he's down playing for for Merston, um FC, you know. But with all due respect, Chris, if you start doing that in the middle of a pitch in a in a in a, <laughs> in a game, you're going to get found out pretty quickly, aren't you? It's, uh, it's a very fair point. Fair point. <laughs> well, anyway, look, let's let's leave it there. Um, thank you very much to Tav and to Tom. For producing this week, my thanks also to Nick Gillard, Patrick O'Connor, and Terence Ford. Um, and I, I said last week I've been Chris Hambling. I wasn't sure about that when I said it, but um, I think I'm going to make it a catchphrase. So I've been Chris Hambling. Goodbye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.